The reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Living as children of light. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are, while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May God add his blessing to that reading. The idea of having a calling is one familiar to many of us, and, and clearly Megan, Maisie, Ollie and Tom felt strongly that God was calling them to work for BMS in Zimbabwe. It's been great uh, today and on previous occasions hearing about how God has both blessed and challenged them over the past near nine months. It's very easy, though, to sit here and listen and be encouraged or mmm sagely in the right places or even laugh in the right places and still think, well, that's okay for these young people. God has obviously called them to go, but I'm not going to go overseas and spend months immersed in another culture. That's not for me. One, actually, he might. Regardless of your age, God might be calling you to serve others in that way. 
This evening might be the start of God saying, when you committed to me, you said you would follow where I lead. And two, actually, if we say we're a Christian, we've all been called. The Ephesians passage Christine read to us earlier sets out very clearly what we are called from and to. The chapter begins, I urge you to live, or the passage that we read begins, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How are we to do that? When writing to the the Christians of Ephesus, Paul warns them using the strongest of terms. Since they're surrounded by those who still walk in darkness, they must walk, it's quite emphatic, must walk worthily of their vocation. Paul insists on it in verse 17. This is not an option. He was writing to a church made up of converted Gentiles who he now considered spiritual children of Israel, and we share in that inheritance Just as Paul insisted to the Ephesians, so today, regardless of the heat, we must sit up and take heed. Our own manner of calling is being described here. We can't do that thing I think we're all being um, rather guilty of in the past, perhaps, when our mums call us and we say, yeah, yeah, in a minute, and merrily carry on with what we're doing. God is not to be fobbed off. He calls us, and we're to go. We began our reading from verse 17, where straight away it is made very clear. We are called to be different. Paul uses a series of rather devastating phrases to describe those walking in darkness. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that all people who are not a Christian are not capable of goodness. But I think WMF Scott's words are useful here. It is not unfair to say that this is the direction in which every life is facing, which is out of touch with God. This is the kind of life which will be reproduced in our community, in which Christian influence is not present. In verse 18, Paul says, Their hearts are hardened. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. The verb being used for harden here means to petrify or cause a callus to form. Now, a callus forms over time and over repeated laboured action. Now, apologies for this, but my feet... um, And I apologise to anyone who hates the sort of mere mention of feet... Um, and don't worry, I'm not getting them out. Um, as, a, as a child, I used to walk around as much as I possibly could without shoes and socks on. And so the soles of my feet uh, were, were pretty calloused. Uh, I have to say, they're not, they're not that great now, actually. Um, my feet ha- became hardened um, and calloused, and some of the skin is quite desensitized. <laughs> That's not good, is it? Anyway, some of the skin was... (laughs) That's just how it was. Well, Paul, rather explicit... It's not a great picture, but that's the picture he's using here. It's quite explicit, and it describes those that do not follow Christ as those who have calloused hearts that are no longer sensitive to him. They don't appreciate the truth, 
even when it's right in front of them. A deadened conscience that inevitably leads to immorality. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Then Paul writes, you, however. Paul is emphasizing that personal pronoun, you. That's you. You are not to be like that. You are called to be different. How are we to be different? Well, we're to be honest with one another. This world is full of encouraging us to be anything but honest. White lies. Lies to advance yourself in work or social standing. Or lies to avoid responsibility and blame. It's hard to be honest. But Paul says we must, and it must be done in love. One of the early church fathers, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, I suspect, John Chrysostom said, if the eye sees a serpent, does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes what is bitter, does it deceive the stomach? Lying, or perhaps more often not telling the truth, is a hindrance to the proper functioning of the body, just as it would be nonsense for the tongue and the stomach not to work together. The body of Christ, his church, if we are open and truthful, well, we can work in harmony and efficiently. When not, it leads to disunity, disorder, and trouble. We are called to be different. When it comes to our anger, Paul has something to say about that too. Of course, righteous indignation, as Christ had when overturning the tables at the temple, is justified, but not the expression of personal provocation or wounded pride. In your anger, Paul writes in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Here Paul is referencing, it seems, one of David's psalms, Psalm 4, verse 4. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. I think all too often, and I know I am guilty of this, what starts as righteous anger develops into personal resentment. It can lead into a real souring souring when a grudge is harboured and brooded over. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The damage festering anger can do is dreadful, and it must be dealt with. Paul is pretty emphatic about what happens if you don't. We are called to be different. Paul also challenges us not to steal. Ah, I hear you say, I'm okay on this one, I'm no tea leaf. Paul, however, isn't just talking about nicking something from the local grocer's. We are called to live in a way that sets out our attitude towards what we have. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. The pattern is simple. Work, to earn, to give. Giving is to be the motivation for our getting. 
What a contrast that is from our world that ever strives to have more, more, more for me, me, me. In so doing, we take from those who need us. This call to be different, Lark, is a bit of a challenge, I've found. Paul goes on to urge us to watch our tongues, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The adjective here apparently is the Greek sapros, or sapros, which means rotten. Gives a clear picture of how, like fruit, rotten spreads rotten. If I'm honest, I see it often at my own work. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I teach at a secondary school. And I see the dreadful damage unwholesome talk does. Some of the things the kids say to one another is pretty vile. And then it just gets passed on by a so-called friend. And before you know it, there's this massive drama where identifying the original cause of the upset is almost impossible. Some of those students feel really isolated as a result, really angry and hurt. Nothing good, basically. You may have similar experience in your workplace or uh, maybe at, uh, even here at Brighton Road. We must not conform to the standards of this world. We must be different, edifying in our talk. As Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And in verse 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. What we say is to be full of goodness. The test is not simply, am I keeping my words true and pure, but am I using words to minister grace to the hearer? In verse 30, Paul writes, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit finds expression in what Christians say and do. So to say and do that which harms the fellowship, to speak falsely or in anger, will especially grieve him. In addition to this, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. By him, it says, we are sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit's presence is the assurance of eternal life that in the fullness of time a Christian will possess. This very idea should prompt us to live in a way to purify our lives. Be holy as the indwelling indwelling Spirit is holy. In verse 31, if Paul hasn't already made it clear that we are called to be different, he lists six things to put away. Bitterness. Just consider that for a moment. Put away all bitterness. Aristotle describes bitterness as the resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation. Wrath, anger also to be put away, whether it's a passionate outburst or a settled brooding feeling. It's all to be put away. Evil speaking. This is not simply blasphemy, but slander and abusive speaking against those with whom we live, work, and worship alongside. And malice. So basically, bad feelings of any kind. So clearly we are called to be different. But we are also called to remember what we have learnt. 
Verse 21 reads, You heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness. We have learnt. We know the truth of Christ. We know the power of Christ in our lives. So Paul is reminding us that we are in no way to act as if we haven't heard and learned of the love of Jesus. It does strike me that we're also to go on learning. With some frequency, Beth, my daughter, and I apologize, Beth, um, we go through um, her clothes to try and sort them out. Slightly epic sometimes. Um, the following conversation invariably occurs. Oh, no, I love that. Oh, don't put that in the bag. I want to keep it. But you've grown out of it. It doesn't fit you anymore. Paul uses the metaphor of putting on new clothes when we follow him. But all too often, we're not willing to remember our learning and want to keep a little something from our old way of life on, even though we've outgrown it. We might even try and layer up so that it appears to everyone else as if we have new clothes, but underneath we're just wearing some dodgy grey undies. We're not fooling God. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted. Put on the new self. You are called to remember what you have learned. Finally, you have been called to be like Christ. Rather than exhibiting those things that we're to put away, we're instead, in verse 32, called to show compassion and kindness. We are to demonstrate love in practical action. And this is to include forgiveness. To not forgive can be such an obstacle to living a life worthy of our calling. We are called to be like Christ, so there must be a likeness between the forgiveness that Christ offered us and that which we offer to others. We can't be picky about whom we are willing to forgive, was Christ. Quite simply, the beginning of chapter 4 says, we are called. The beginning of chapter 5 says, to be like Christ. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. We are called to be like Christ. Paul, of course, gives us more in between. He gives us in chapter 4 the detail of how we might live a life worthy of our calling. Because quite frankly, we often need it spelling out. We're called to be different. We're called to remember what we have learned. But ultimately, we are called to be like Christ. How are we to do this? How can we put off our old self? We need to spend time with him. We need to come before God and confess our need for his continual work in our lives. To help us let go of the speaking falsely, let go of the anger, the bitterness, and the lack of forgiveness. I want us to spend some time now in quietness, in prayer. To take the time 
to offer to God the old clothes that we've been holding on to.